open with me in your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. We're talking about times of refreshing, that God wants to refresh us. That, that word in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says that there are times of refreshing, appointed times of refreshing. Let's read the scripture from the screen so that we all say the same words, and let's fill this atmosphere with the word of God. Can we do that? Let's read it. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. God wants to refresh you. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to meet with you, come alongside you. He wants to support you. He wants to be there with you. He wants to talk with you. This is refreshing. He doesn't just want to come alongside you, though, and meet you every so often, but he wants to spend your life with you. He wants to spend his life with you. In fact, God wants to spend eternity with you. But there are these certain specific times of refreshing that Peter, the, the apostle he's preaching about right here, is saying that God has on his calendar appointments, these kairos moments, these appointed times that he refreshes you. And so we've walked through over the last several weeks the process leading up to that. For example, I just said miracles don't just happen, but there's a preparation so often of faith in the heart and that leads up to it. Well, right here, that refreshing doesn't just happen, but he says first, repent. That means to radically change the way you think, the way you think about God, the way you think about yourself, the way that you think about others, the way you think about your situation, the way you think about your lifestyle, the way you think about morality, the way you think about truth. Change the way you think and then turn to God so that your sins would be wiped out and then times of refreshing would come. Now, this reminds us, if, we were to, if you were to be reading this like straight through a couple chapters in a row there, you would look back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter's preaching another sermon, and, and he kind of used some of the same terminology because he's getting the same point across. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says to the people, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see the connection there. They sound very similar in language. In one passage, he talks about this refreshing. In the other uh, passage, the other scripture, he says uh, that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think that when we receive the refreshing, what God is saying is, my spirit is being poured out on you. You see, it's not just simply that God encourages you in your own strength or that he turns a situation around to make things better for you or that he just gives you hope and joy and all that stuff. But I think what really refreshes us is not a circumstance or situation change out there. It's not just a little pick-me-up, but I think it's the very presence of God that comes alongside, and, and not just alongside, but, but empowers us, is poured out into us, into our life. That God says, I'm not going to be on the outside kind of giving you a push, but I'm going to be on the inside. And that right there is what's going to refresh you like nothing else can. 
That right there is, is what God is trying to get to us. Now, Peter, when he's talking, he's talking to outsiders, those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. This is the birth you know, of the church. This is the very beginning. And so these people were hearing about Jesus for the very first time. And so they didn't know. They didn't know about, uh, you know, about this new life. And they're experiencing the oppression of the Romans. They're experiencing the oppression of their religion that is all rules. And it's, it's been, it's been uh, it kind of fell to that, just all rules and no, no, um, no grace of God, no religion, uh, or, uh, relationship with the Lord, no power there. That's what they're experiencing. And so they're hearing this message about what Jesus has done on the cross for them. And that if they would turn to him, they'd be refreshed, that the Holy Spirit would come and change their life. Now, Peter, Peter is an apostle. We think, oh, that's a big title. Well, apostle is just a Greek word for somebody who is sent out. He was sent out by Jesus. Peter is preaching boldly at this point. He's getting up in front of you know, hundreds and thousands of people, and he's just telling them all about what God has done. Now, you would think that Peter would do that because, of course, he just spent three and a half years with Jesus. He walked with him. He talked with him. He hung out with him. He saw him when he fed the 5,000. He saw him when he raised the dead. He saw him when he, when he healed the guy of leprosy. He, he was there when God showed up on the mountain. He was there when Jesus spit in some dude's eye and made him, you know, this blind guy and gave him the ability to see. He was there for all that. He was there, and uh, when, when they led him away, when they arrested him to, and led him away to be crucified, he was there after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he saw him, and, and, and he was able to, to touch the hands and the, the nail scarred and see you know, the, the, the wound in the side. He saw that, but that wasn't what gave Peter the boldness to preach. Peter had an experience with God. He had an experience with Jesus. But it wasn't at, because of that that gave him such boldness to do what God had called him to do. Because he was facing tremendous amount of opposition and a risk to his own life to get out there and preach like he did and to proclaim who Jesus was, especially with all the persecution that was coming his way. The thing that gave him the strength to do what he was doing wasn't simply a knowledge or a memory. It was an experience with God when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was this refreshing that Peter experienced himself, this life-giving strength that came from not knowing about God, not having experienced God at one point, but where God said, I don't want to any longer be on the outside, but I want to be on the inside. I don't want to just be around you, but I want to be in you. And this is what enabled Peter to not have a fellowship with others about God, but a very strong fellowship with God. Personally, every moment, every day, there's no limitation. Let me ask you, how is your fellowship with the Lord? Not how is your belief in God. That might need to grow too. But how has your fellowship with God been lately? How has your time with Jesus been? How has your meditation of your, your, your heart, you know, it's going on in the inside and the way you relate. Do you feel close to the Lord? Do you feel 
warmed up to him? Do you feel like, like, like do, do you, would you sit there and say, man, I'm closer to the Lord than I've ever been? Do you feel stronger and more confident in your faith? Do you feel like, you know what, I am, I am uh, being led by the Lord. I'm hearing from God. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of what God is wanting to do in my life. I'm sure that I'm on track with the Lord. See, these are questions that we've got to ask ourselves and, and because sometimes we go a while and we don't even realize that there's been a drift in our hearts. Isn't that true? And it's not that, it's, it, it, believe me, I've been married for 20-something years, almost 22. I know how long it is, babe. I just didn't want everyone to know that we got married when we were eight and nine years old. So they're like, because obviously we're so young. It's kind of weird in Michigan. If we were down south a little bit or in the hills, they'd be like, yeah, I married my cousin when I was seven years old. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But out here in Michigan, we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. And so, for all of you from the South, no offense. I'm halfway from the South. I lived in the South. My mom's from the South. Mom, if you're watching right now, that was for you. (laughs) Who's also my cousin. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll stop right there. Let's get back to the Bible. You're like, I don't know. For every, anyone who invited anyone to church today, you're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should have come last week. He didn't say nothing stupid like that. Next week, it'll be better. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, we're going to check out that church next door before Raw Conference. <laughs> Where was I before you interrupted me? Somebody help me out here. Married 22 years. You can live together, still be married, still sleep in the same bed and drift. And uh, don't say amen, babe. <laughs> and it's not because you don't love each other. It's not because you're just like, you know, hey, we're just, we're making a conscious decision or anything like that. It's just time, busy, a focus. And this happens with the Lord. It happens with the Lord. And it's not that God drifts. He's very stable in his relationship with you. It's just that sometimes our hearts drift, and it's times like that where though we may have been refreshed at one point, we need times of refreshing again, and the Lord is calling us back to that. He's calling us back to that. Peter's talking about this, and he says, you need this time of refreshing. You need this because this is what will transform your life. You need this fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This very Spirit of God, you need that in your life. You don't need to drift anymore. You need to come back and focus. Because, of course, for those who don't yet know the Lord, they need it for the first time. But those who have met Jesus, we need it time and time again. We need these times of refreshing that he's referring to. The Holy Spirit, that, that, that pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that's a big deal to God. When he started this whole thing with the church after Jesus resurrected and he ascended to heaven, he said, he said, don't go out and just start preaching. Don't go out and start living your life and trying to do the right thing. But first, you need to wait. You need to get together and you need to wait here in Jerusalem until 
my Father pours out the gift of the Spirit on you. And so they all gathered together for the next 10 days, and they were seeking after God. They didn't even know what that was going to look like in their life. You know, there's things that God wants to do in your life, and you just have to be convinced that He wants to do them, even though you don't know what it looks like. And sometimes we have to get to a point where we're so desperate, we say, God, I don't care what you do in my life, I just need more of you. God, I want you to show up in my life and and do the things that you've promised that you'll do. And so I'm going to set my heart to seek you. That's the question. Have you done that in your life recently? Have you just set everything aside at any point recently? Let's think within the last year and just said, you know what? I'm going to cut out this and that, and I'm going to press into this, and I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. Have you, have you, have you cut back on, on the media? Have you, have you cut back on the hanging out or maybe... God forbid the the, uh, the the sports. You know, have you cut back on some things that are just things that you like because there's something you know you need more than that? It may not be something you always have to do forever, but there's these concentrated times of of fasting really to press into the Lord because we realize, God, I am desperate for you. This is what he's calling us to, and he's asking. In fact, I'm asking you right now because that's a question you need to answer. And if the answer is no, it's not a thing of, wow, I'm a lousy Christian. <laughs> you know, That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is God is inviting you to that time again. And he's saying, would you set apart time for me? Because there's something I want to do in your life that you don't know what it looks like, but I do. And if you'll trust me, and allow me to have my way on the inside of you, then I will turn your life around in ways that you couldn't imagine, but I promise it'll be better. So often we come to God for a cultural Christianity because we have things that we want God to do in our life, areas that we want him to make better. Uh, we want him to strengthen our, we want good families. We want you know the, the prosperity. We want joy and the health and all that, and God wants that for us, but less the, the question is not so much of what we want God to do in our life, but, but what does God want our life for? What does he want your life for? What does he want to do with you? And so we set ourselves apart to that, and we say, Lord God, do that in me. The, 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 the early church here, there's 120 of them that gathered together and said, okay, we'll go after that. We'll go after that. And then you read in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gave them a new language. God gave them a new way to communicate with, 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 uh, with Him. God gave them an empowerment to be able to accomplish His plan in their lives. God turned everything around for them when they were filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit, like I said, is a huge deal. It's a huge deal to God. It's, in fact, I would say it's probably, um, it's probably just about the biggest deal in the Bible. The cross changes everything, but the cross is not the end. It's a means to an end. We're not ashamed of the, the gospel. We're not embarrassed of the cross. But the cross, you know, like, like the scripture says, it, 
Because the power of God, the gospel is preached through the cross. But in God's eyes, the cross is not the ultimate event. Because the cross was what was required. Jesus going to the cross, paying for our sins. That was what was required so that God could get what he truly wanted. You see, he paid for our sins, but God's desire wasn't to pay for our sins. That wasn't like, oh, that's what I want. He wants, he wants us, and, and he wants to be with us. And so we see scriptures like John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. That's important because this is what, what God is, is after through the cross. He's after getting... This is what he's after. In the Old Testament, they built the tabernacle or the temple. And so what the priests would have to do is there are all kinds of ceremonies, all kinds of offerings and sacrifices of blood and so forth to purify the temple, as well as to purify the people so that they could engage with the presence of the Lord. And it was external, and it was limited. And so God could, could be in their presence. They could come into the presence of God to a limited degree, but it was temporary. It was finite. It, 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 was, it, was not, it was not what God was really after because he wanted so much more than that. The Spirit would be with them, but God said, I don't want to just be with you. I want to be in you. I want to be in you. And I don't want there to ever be a separation between you and me again. And we have these sacrifices of animals year after year, day after day, however it worked, and that would purify externally. But God said our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that there's been a sacrifice that was made once and for all, the blood of Jesus, and no other sacrifices are even required. It purified and cleansed this temple once and for all, so that the Spirit of God would not simply visit us, but would remain with us. The presence of God would remain on the inside of us. And so this is what God is after from the very beginning, ever since the garden, when, when people were kicked out of the very presence and fellowship of the, Lord, of the Lord there, that he said, I can't wait to be in you. And so when we repent and we turn to God and our sins are washed away, the Holy Spirit comes and he makes a home on the inside of us. And if that's happened to you, you have the presence of God on the inside. But sometimes you can become roommates with the people you love. And that's not his desire. Have you talked to the Lord lately? Have you had a heart-to-heart? Have you pushed everything aside and just said, God, you're more important to me than anything else? 
I know you've been struggling. I struggle. Man, I was in the shower just the other day. This is not a word picture. I, I, I was in the shower the other day, and I, I just, you know, you, sometimes, because you can't be on screens or a whole lot else. I can't. I don't know about you in there. And uh, your mind is just able to think. I remember thinking, God, I, I, I want my heart to, to want you more. Because I feel like my heart is just not as, as sensitive to you right now. And you know what? The Lord already knows that. It's not news to him. It's just news to me that I need to, I need to draw closer to the Lord. You know, Galatians, it talks about being redeemed from the curse of the law, the penalty, the consequences of the law. It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Meaning this, that when Jesus went to the cross, all the penalty, all the, the consequences of breaking the law, the law of God, was laid upon him. And he, be, he took on that whole curse. The whole, the whole penalty himself on the, on the curse. Because it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is a fascinating study because it affects everything that you have, you touch, you see. It affects everything around you as a covenant believer. But it's not just the outward stuff that God wants to do, but he does want to do those things. But the scripture says it's not just this blessing that you would think is the external blessing, but he says that we might receive the Spirit through faith. Jesus went to the cross that we might receive not just the blessing of Abraham, but really what that is at the very root of it, the Spirit. Because the Spirit, when we have the Spirit of God, God is the source of life. God is the source of everything good. God is the source of our strength. He's the source of light. He's the source of our hope. He's the source for our provision. He's the source for our health. God is. And so we see this here that the Scripture is saying, Jesus went to the cross so that you would receive the gift of the Spirit. Because everything God has for you, it's not out there. It's in Him, and He's in you. He said, my presence is there. You have everything you need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit provides us with that unlimited refreshing. The Holy Spirit inside of us. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it's, it's, it would be a time like right now, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and towards the end there, it says, on that last day, the day of the great, great feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty? I have a son who, who he is always lacking water. He always needs water. He just runs hot. It seems like he's always, always, always needing more water. And sometimes he doesn't realize it. And when he doesn't realize that it's water that he's missing, that he hasn't been quenching his thirst, he starts to get exhausted. He gets headaches. He gets cranky. Now, I know I'm not talking about anyone else in here for any other reason, right? 
This is my son. And we, we oftentimes say, how much water have you had? And he says, oh, I haven't had any water. You see, he's thirsty and he's experiencing the symptoms of, of not having that thirst quenched, but he's not realizing that he's thirsty and going for the drink. We sometimes can be like that. It's not that we are full or satisfied. We are thirsty. We just don't realize it. And so something on the inside, maybe even today, the Lord is saying, would you recognize in your life that which is missing and causing these symptoms? Maybe it's because you really are thirsty. So would you get your, your mind changed and realize that, that you do have a thirst and that he's the one who can quench it. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When you're thirsty for Jesus and you come after him out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. On that side of the cross, Jesus is telling people, come to me, and you're going to get something on the inside of you, a fountain that will never run dry. And while the world is looking for somebody to come and, 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 and fix the chaos and to, to uh, bridge the gap and unite, unite the divide and, and, and find a way to stop the natural disasters or maybe just send us to Mars or whatever. You know, let's just save ourselves. They're never going to find it. They're never going to find it out there. Jesus said, come to me, and I'm going to put the solution, maybe not to hurricanes and all that. I'm going to put the thing that you've been looking for on the inside of you. You know what that is? It's a who. It's me. It's the presence of God. And he said this in John 14, 26, but the helper, when he comes, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, you want to write that one down, John 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. In other words, man, I want to get to know Jesus more. I want to, I want to hear from the Lord. I, I want to draw close to him. Well, the Holy Spirit will point you right to him and, and, and talk to you on his, you know, on his behalf. He, he'll remind you of the things that Jesus has taught you and said to you. How do we hear from God? Well, you receive the Spirit. You have the Spirit on the inside of you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because it's a counterfeit. It might make your problems go away for a moment, but it's got some bad side effects in the morning. It might make you laugh for a moment, but that's just a counterfeit, because it doesn't solve anything. He said, instead of that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you guys would know that that word, be filled, it's not just a one-time occurrence, but it's that constant refilling, refreshing. 
saying, God, pour your spirit out fresh on me today. I know the presence of the Lord is in here, in here, and yet somehow you still fill me again fresh. And whether it comes from up this way or it comes from within, Lord God, I don't care. I don't understand it. All I know is I need more of you. And here's the deal. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I can tell you this, that I need more of Jesus in my life. And when I think about the future, I think about, I think about being used by God to do something great. When I think about the future, I think about living a life that there's a distinction between God's people and those who don't know the Lord. And I want to be on God's side. When I think about my kids, when I think about my family, when I think about getting up into retirement age when I'm about 103 or so, I think about, I think about how I want to look back on my life and sit there and be able to recount story after story about how the Lord showed up and how the Lord did this and the Lord did that. And there was this time when, when, when we didn't have, and then God you know, knocked on the door, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or this time when we were, we were desperate and the Lord did something that was just impossible. But that doesn't just happen. It happens when we respond to the invitation of the Lord that he's giving us this morning. And he says, I want my relationship with you be better. I don't want there to be a separation or a drift. Would you turn your attention back to the Lord? Would you turn your, your attention back to me, as God would say? And can we make some time this week, just you and me, and let's just start off small, and let's, let me rekindle this fire on the inside of you. Because there's something that I called you for, and I called you out of that darkness, out of that pit for a purpose. And you're not yet fully walking in that. You might not be where you were, but I've got something even more for you. How many of you would say, well, I'm going to take the Lord up on that. I want to take the Lord up on that. 